everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We are covering season two, episode five of both shows, Karate Kid, that originally aired on the 27th of October, 2007, and Charades, which originally aired on the 13th of July, 2023. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how the hell are you doing tonight? Doing pretty well, Bob. When I hear the name Karate Kid, I immediately think of the film. There's good reason for that, Matt. As a stupid child, though, I was under the impression that that character in that film was also in the comic. Ah, yes, yes. There was a Karate Kid comic in the 70s, uh, but I believe that comic in the 70s, you know, it's, it's the same Karate Kid from the Legion, but he gets transported back to the 20th century. But I believe that comic series also predated the film. So all I can think about when I hear Karate Kid is, is you know, wax on, wax off. Well, they actually did have to, whatever the production company behind Karate Kid was, they did have to pay DC to use the name. Well, IDW, I want you listening. I want a Karate Kid film, Karate Kid Legion crossover. Can we get that to happen? <laughs> so did you ever watch the new uh, reboot of the Karate Kid franchise, Cobra, is it Cobra Kai? No, I did not. I, I I mean, I'm not I was not like a big fan of that film or anything. I just remember it was on TV all the time, like when we were growing up. Yeah, yeah. And we it was just we watched it like the, the final little fight scene. I think I've seen like a thousand times in the first film. People say and a surprising variety of people say that the Cobra Kai TV show, which I think was originally on YouTube and then moved to Netflix, they say it's really good. I've heard a lot of people say that, too. I just can't jump into it. Right? I just yeah. it's just another long ass show. And it's weird, like this terrible, this terrible never Trump conservative I used to listen to. He loves it. Uh, one of my gay friends up here in Seattle loves it. It's just a weird, weird spectrum. Uniting America. Cobra Kai did back in like 2017. Yeah, like one of my boomer friends on Facebook constantly like talks about it and it goes to meet the actors at like conventions. Oh, well, that's a little weird. Yeah, he's fucking weird, Bob. I agree. <laughs> say it. I said it so you didn't have to. Yeah, thanks, Bob. But you, but you said it again, which is or you went ahead and said it, which is, you know, good. It's when well, the listeners need clarity. I'm, I'm just confirming. Speaking, yeah. Speaking of clarity for the listeners, Matt, do you want to walk them through the plot of the Legion of Superheroes episode Karate Kid? Frustrated in their efforts to halt the robberies of Grimbor the Chainsman, the Legion recruits some non-traditional members. So, Matt, have I brought up the reputation of 60s and especially 70s Legion comics for being really kinky, especially really into like bondage? No, nah, but do tell. I mean, I, all I know is like, you know, Wonder Woman's origins had a lot of stuff in like in the 40s with bondage, but I don't know anything about yeah, Legion. Yeah. Although there was at least say what you will about the Wonder Woman 40s comics, but there's like an ethos behind it. Like the guy who wrote them, you know, fancied himself a feminist, like the bondage was in service of a political agenda. <laughs> like It wasn't sexy. But, <laughs> it was sexy in the way that a foot fetish is sexy, if that makes sense, where like you're getting off on it, but you're not getting off because it's like provocative. You're just getting off because you're really invested in, in the thing that you fetishize. Does that make sense? That does make, that makes a lot of sense, Bob. Yes. Okay. Okay. But the, as I understand the, the Legion art in the seventies, it was more just a series of artists were like really into, uh, really into it. And so you'd have a lot of covers and a lot of plot situations involving the Legion being tied up, chained up, otherwise captive, which is not an unfamiliar trope in superhero comics, you know, see Batman, the sixties TV show, but I think was, um, to a great degree, 
in uh, in greater degree in the Legion comics. And I think the apotheosis of this was Grimbor, the Chainsman, whose, you know, entire gimmick was to like chain up the Legion. Basically, <laughs> he, he also had a he had a female sidekick whose name I've forgotten, who's sadly not or maybe happily is not in this episode. But yeah, he had a dominatrix sidekick who was also really into chains. James Gunn, you listening to this? This is what we want to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want Grimboy the Chainsman tying up Legion members. Let's do this. <laughs> so uh, the central conflict to this episode does seem to be like Cosmic Boy and Chameleon Nepo. And I got to be honest, between those two, I have a hard time picking a side. Yeah, I couldn't make my decision up either, Bob. They, they both were. In, I, I hate both characters. But <laughs> Chameleon Nepo, help me understand why he turns into a beast looking thing at one point. Like, I thought chameleons just change colors or appearance. He was more like Beast Boy. In in comics, Matt, chameleons are, you know, change anything. Like, I, it was, I think chameleon and Spider-Man goes back and forth, but sometimes he just does disguise, but sometimes he's a full-on shapeshifter, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, no, well, not, I always just thought chameleon just looked like people. Like, just, he just looked like any human. Maybe, like maybe. chameleon in the comic, in uh, Marvel. In, in but, Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't I, I just don't understand. Like, I was so confused when he decides to, like, turn into this, like, orange thing. He's a full on shapeshifter and always has been. I was just pissed because it gives him something cool. It gives him a cooler power. Like, it gives him a, a reason to be there. Whereas before, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, just thought it was Nepo. But now he's like, he's actually got a beast kind of form that he can use to attack people. Yeah, yeah. No, he's one of the most versatile, um, one of the most versatile characters. And I will say Chameleon in the comics is one of the more the better and more personality distinct legionnaires. I've got to say, I think he's one of the few characters that the show did no favors for. They make him a lot worse than he is in the comics. <laughs> well, what about this other character, Bob? Yeah. So we see Calamity King get rejected from the Legion, which, you know, in fairness also happens in the comics, but uh, I actually think Calamity King's powers are sick and it's really short-sighted to not let him in. So his powers seem similar to like long shot or domino, but kind of the opposite. Like you don't like other characters do not have luck. Yeah, yeah. He creates bad luck, which is somewhat similar to Black Cat in some versions in Spider-Man. But it seems like his is more focused where what I've read of Black Cat, it's it's just a little bit more random. Sometimes the bad luck is for her. Sometimes it's for other people. Yeah. The more I learn about these Legion characters, Bob, the more I feel like X-Men really owes them some royalties. <laughs> they do, Matt. They do. <laughs> there's a ton of characters that are just like so similar. Well, it's it's kind of a shame that like in the 80s, something happened where like the X-Men made it to the next level and just like the and the Teen Titans and Legion just kind of fell apart and stagnated and neither would neither would turn out to be as successful as the X-Men. It's kind of I don't exactly know what that point was, but there was some point in like storytelling and sales where like the X-Men made the jump. Honestly, it might have been like Claremont when they well, Claremont had been on the X-Men for years at that point, and Levitz had been on the Legion for years, and Wolfman had been on the Titans for years. It might have honestly been that X-Men started doing crossovers <laughs> and like but and and like became like, you know, became not just a single book, but became like a whole line of books. Yeah. Whereas Titans and Legion ne could never support more than two or three books at most. And even the two or three books really kind of diluted the focus to some extent. I just feel like uh, I felt like I, a lot of the characters I enjoyed from X-Men were actually kind of like ripoffs from Legion. 
but I never knew the yeah. Legion characters to begin with. But then I'm sure the Legion characters may come from somewhere else too, in like mythology somewhere or some like. Uh, I think I think the Legion characters are in as much as any superhero character is original, which is to say most of them are not very original. But I think they're pretty. I, I don't know any like obvious antecedents for a lot of them. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't either. I'm saying I have to research it. But yeah. I'm sure there's someone. There's some. Well. Something th- somewhere th- that has some real characters. I think the Legion debuting in the late the late fifties and then Fantastic Four debuting in the early sixties were the two franchises that maybe did the most to kind of like define the Silver Age, right? And define right. like what like at least teams in the Silver Age and what like the modern teams in the sixties and the seventies would look like. So I think they're pretty original in that sense. So Bob, at, after Calamity Kid, we meet Nemesis Kid. Yeah. And so in the comics, Nemesis Kid's powers are a little weirder. It's that he develops powers temporarily uh, that are necessary to counter any single opponent. Um, And that can sometimes mean he negates their powers, but sometimes it means he just gets powered up. It also means that he can be overwhelmed by more than one person pretty easily. But I think the cartoon actually does make his powers more elegant and simpler by just saying he negates powers. So he's kind of like Darwin or Leech, but he predates them. Yeah, yeah. Although it's more targeted than Leech's powers from like X-Factor and New Mutants. Leech just dampens anyone in the room with him. And Darwin's are a little more general. Darwin is just kind of about general adaptation, except for in X-Men First Class, where he immediately gets killed. Which is my like only real exposure to Darwin. <laughs> when we eventually get back on to um, the X-Men comics, um, which no no rush at all. But when we eventually get back on to them, uh, they do some crazy stuff with Darwin going into something called the vault. It's a it's a wild time. I'm sure. He has some yeah. really cool evolution. Although we all yeah, know evolution is yeah. not real, Bob. So let's just let's just move on. Yeah, he, he has some real cool creationism, Matt. <laughs> It was his free will that allowed him to do this. Good. <laughs> so, Matt, as a wrestling fan, were you thrilled or annoyed by Karate Kid beating out Superman on a DQ? Uh, I was very annoyed. And DQs are garbage finishes, just so you know. Yes. Yes, I do know. I do know. But it's important that the listeners know. Yeah. Um, DQs are terrible. I, I, I do think that arguably the cartoon improves Nemesis Kid or at least makes him more elegant. But I I didn't remember how much I objected to this when I first watched the show. But the show really, I think, makes the the Superboy Karate Kid fight from the comics a lot worse. In the original comics in the 60s, Karate Kid sidesteps a punch from Superboy and then Judo throws Superboy into a wall. It's pretty badass. Nothing nearly that cool in this fight. So did Karate, Karate Kid has never had powers in the comic, right? Sometimes they talk about him in a way that might suggest powers, but broadly speaking, no, he doesn't. Yeah. Okay. So he's just a skilled martial artist. And- yep. Yeah. Okay. He's the one. He's the one legionnaire who has no powers. It just seems well, weird to have him as the as, as a as a character on the legion. I I just remember there being a specific thing is you have to have powers. Yeah, they mentioned the episode, but it's just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this guy well, doesn't have the, powers. He's highly trained. I'm sure there's other people that are just as highly trained. Why is Batman's great 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 grandson on the legion? Come on, make this happen. Well, there is. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that that the Karate Kid Superboy fight is like why he's on the legion. Like that's his legion tryout. Is uh, there is they're basically just like 
okay, well, you have no power. So if you can get one over on Superboy, we'll let you in. And then he gets one on one on overconfident Superboy. Bob, what if Karate Kid is really the Nepo kid? No, shut the fuck up. What that's if awful. Karate Kid no, paid terrible. Superboy to take no. the fall? <laughs> no, fuck you. Yes. That's terrible. No. Karate Kid and Superboy are in cahoots. Karate Kid is one of the best is one of the best Legion characters of all time. I will not have you disparage him like you <laughs> like you correctly disparage Chameleon Nepo. I'm just saying he may have paid off Superboy so he could get a Kar- Legion. Karate Kid Karate Kid's wife is also great. She's not going to be in the show, but she's also great. Uh, Karate Kid basically becomes her gigolo. That's very funny. He's a great character. I will not I will not stand for this. <laughs> What's her name? Jiu-Jitsu woman? Uh, no, Princess Projectra. Oh, God. No, man, she's she's badass. When we eventually read it, there's a story involving her and Nemesis Kid and Karate Kid. That's amazing. So does she project things? Yeah, she has illusion casting powers. OK, not like projectiles, but just projects like. Yeah, illusions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was it was the sixties, man. It was a strange time. Um, so Princess Projectra, Karate Kid, Nemesis Kid, and Pharaoh Lad in the comics they all join in the same issue, and it's the first issue where Jim Shooter, the like thirteen year old, is riding the Legion. Well, all I can say is this isn't the Legion of guys who try really hard. Yeah, I have to give it to Cosmic Boy. That was actually a really good line. <laughs> this, this is a Legion we need of superpowered people. <laughs> like what's, what's what's karate kid gonna do in space like that's my thing i don't understand that like he just what are any of them gonna do in space they that... <laughs> uh, that's true most of them don't have powers that would speak to space <laughs> yeah you're right i gotta start thinking more more uh logically here it does seem like the legion might be relaxing the rule about powers a little bit i haven't read the new josh williamson green arrow series but apparently in the new josh williamson green arrow series Oliver Queen and then one of his speedies, I'm not sure which, go to the 30th century and they find that Connor Hawk's been there chilling for months and has joined the Legion. And so, you know, Connor Hawk doesn't have powers either. So do you think that there was a discrimination lawsuit that led to this? I mean, both Connor Hawk and Karate Kid should be portrayed as Asian and they sometimes are and sometimes are not. And so maybe no, I mean, a know, discrimination lawsuit against people without powers, Bob. Well, what I'm what I'm saying is sometime between now and the 30th century, the overturning of affirmative action gets overturned. And so, yeah, yeah, you get you get Karate Kid and Connor Hawkins on an affirmative action basis. That's what I'm positing. OK, OK. Makes sense. But perhaps <laughs> perhaps perhaps you can't discriminate against people with powers either yeah. <laughs> or people without powers is the case. Everyone can be accepted into the Legion. <laughs> All right, Bob, how often does the Legion actually have these tryouts? This is my third time experiencing the tryouts in a season and a half. Pretty often. Okay. I mean, the the team had to go from like three people to like 30 people. And not all of them were shown trying out, but some of them were. So, you know, pretty often. Yeah, I just I, just, I mean, it seems like I didn't know if there was like a set time frame, like if they were putting out like annuals or something. I think these it- were. I think it's kind of as needed. It wasn't I don't think they ever did it on a regular schedule in the comics. And I think it's just kind of like as as needed or as the writer likes. Although in the 70s and the 80s, it was traditional that like every publication year, the readers would vote on who would be the leader for the next publication year for the for the Legion. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like interaction before the Internet. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's totally through the letter columns and yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of cool that I, they seem to be falling off it lately, but the X-Men have been doing that for a couple of years of who, you know, vote who gets on the team for the next publication year, or at least vote one, vote one character who gets on the team for the next publication year. That's kind of risky because you never know like a bit, but I mean, if you put characters on there to vote for that, you know, you, you still have, you have story ideas for, it would be odd yeah, if like yeah. if everybody voted for some guy that like, you know, nobody's going to, there's no way they could put that character to a story. <laughs> well, and usually like the characters who not always, but a lot of times the characters who, who perform well, but who are not elected to the X-Men, like I think like Tempo and Banshee would be two recent examples. They then get subplots in other books like Tempo shows up in Marauders or Banshee shows up in Legion of X. Oh, so then they, they still fulfill those plots they kind of come up with, but in a different book. It seems like, yeah, it seems like. That's kind of neat. So, Matt, is it kind of unfortunate to make Karate Kid do the laundry? I think it's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> it reminded me, do you remember in Batman Forever when Dick Grayson had to do the laundry? No. So that's actually in the movie. Yeah, he's like doing his laundry. He's like doing the laundry and it's when Alfred notices he has moves. <laughs> Mm. he's like flipping all the clothes around and shit and like drying them on the racks and like flicking them and stuff and alfred's like i mean he has potential i guess that was really just cashing in on like that you know 80s 90s karate kid like housework is is karate thing yeah apparently this is one of the few scenes in that film though that was cut from the schumacher uh version that kevin smith is dangling over our heads to try to remain relevant so kevin smith is terrible i hate him but like, I don't have any I don't have any like desire to see a Schumacher cut, but like the fact that he would cut that scene to me shows it's like, what would even be the point of watching that movie? Like the the charm of those two movies is that they're goofy and ridiculous in as much as they have charm. That's it. So why would you cut out the goofy and ridiculous bits? I agree, because it's obviously not the same Batman from the first movie. And I mean, to me, like if you watch each of the Batman films separately, the original, you know, the original four that came yeah. out in the late eighties, nineties, they all are a little different. Each one, and the the yeah, it's it's if you can watch them that way, and it's fine. Like even yeah. from Batman and Batman Returns, like it's he's Michael Keaton's almost a different character in those two. He really is, yeah, and it, it's so villain centered that second film that you know they're they're yeah. really the main characters of that one, and then the third movie, you know, the one we're discussing is just they were leaning more towards the younger audience, which yeah. they accomplished. And then Batman and Robin is just garbage. So nobody wants to watch that. Well, but I mean, like I said, I, I, I feel like you should either not watch them and not think about them, which is what I do, or you should just <laughs> lean into them being like campy delights, which, you know, arguably they are. If you're in the year of our Lord, 2023, like still bitter about how the Schumacher <laughs> Batman movies turned out. Like, I just like, what the fuck, man? I don't know what to say to that. It's been 25 years. 1995. <laughs> it's been longer than that. <laughs> yeah. It's 20. been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have an urge to see it because I knew about the deleted scenes when the film dropped because I read the novel. And oh, yeah. They yeah. weren't that big a deal. It was really just, there was like a scene where there's a big giant fucking bat. And I'm like, Okay. It's meant to be in Bruce's head. <laughs> I read the Batman and Robin novelization. I don't know if I read the Batman Forever novelization. Yeah, and there's like a scene where Two-Face hangs the guard and escapes. 
Oh, but you don't see yeah. the escape, okay. you just see the aftermath. Yeah. That's really it. There's yeah, a couple of other not, scenes they I, talk about, but it's just it's just cut differently. And then shit's I, been cut out of the film. Yeah, you're right. I did I did read that then. Now that you're saying that, that, that right. Well, it was also in the comic adaptation had that part as well. I definitely didn't read the comic adaptation. All right, Matt. So it is pretty funny to see uh, Superboy use the presence of Karate Kid to bludgeon Chameleon Nepo, or sorry, Superman. Uh, it's funny to see Superman use Karate Kid to bludgeon Chameleon Nepo. I, I enjoyed that. Where's Superboy X in this episode? Well, I think the rule is you can you only need one for these <laughs> for, for these kind of episodes, you know. I guess I just there's, there's no Superboy. It's driving me crazy. I was like, where's Superboy X? You know, we've we've seen this all throughout these Legion episodes, both last year and this year, right? Like it, it, the the roster's very variable. So they drop it's like off, you have to show up. Yeah, yeah. I guess the, I guess that this Superboy was better suited for this particular story because of the Karate Kid dynamic. Yeah, you wouldn't have wanted to see this episode with Superboy X, and also probably they were so worried about getting Karate Kid over, or rather, sorry, they were so worried about getting Superboy X over that they wouldn't want to show Superboy X. You know, he's so supposed to be so extreme. Why would you show him losing to Karate Kid? Superboy X was like. That's not going to work for me, brother. (laughs) (laughs) We got to rewrite the story. (laughs) We've got to we've got to remember this at every future iteration of Superboy X and the episodes we have left. We have to talk about Superboy X in the Hulk Hogan voice. We could do that, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So, Matt, at any point during this episode, did you think uh, Nemesis Kid might betray the Legion? I mean, when you have Nemesis in your name, it's kind of a red flag. Just throw that out there. Yeah. So like in the in the original Legion continuity, he immediately betrays the Legion, like in a second in the second issue <laughs> that he's in. <laughs> and then he's a villain and a pretty great villain for the rest of that continuity. So it's kind of cool. But it's kind of cool to see him just as a hero in this. Yeah, when the name popped up, I was like, uh, that's gonna probably be a bad guy. Or uh, I have a feeling we'll probably see the same thing happen in this. Well, so Nemesis has come to mean like uh, enemy, right? But I think right. in I think the original connotations are more like retribution and like nemesis is like the pursuer of justice, that sort of thing. So I think that's kind of what they were going for, oh. you know, with him being an ex-cop, blah, blah, blah. Here's something you're not going to get any reference to. That's kind of like Resident Evil 3. The bad guy's name is mm. Nemesis. Oh, he's <laughs> profound. Profound. Yeah. 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 So who was your non-Superboy Legionnaire of the Week, Matt? As much as I shit on him, Bob, Karate Kid was pretty cool. I got to give you that. He is a cool kid. All right. Yeah, Karate Kid's great. I, I, I'm just so bitter about how they did the fight with him and Superman. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with Nemesis Kid. This was an interesting version of him. I wouldn't want it to replace the original, but it's a, it's an interesting. All right, Bob. So now we need to move into Strange New Worlds. I, I hope has not been very divisive on Facebook. I don't think I've seen too many bad things. Have you? I I trawled the the hashtag looking for some negative responses, and I saw, I only saw a little, and at, in invariably it was from morons who pay for a blue check on Twitter, which is okay. like, you know, it, it instantly invalidates your opinion on any subject. Yeah, everyone needs to keep that in mind. If you're listening, if you have a blue check on Twitter, unless you're an actual celebrity, no, no they don't have them anymore. I don't think. Oh, oh they don't celebrities don't. So even celebrities are like, fuck it. I'm not paying five dollars a month or whatever no, for this. No, no. It's like Good. they phased it out. Like in this, there was a period where 
both celebs and Elon Musk dick riders both have the blue checks. But I think, unless I'm wrong, they've just phased out the blue checks for, you know, now it's just Elon Musk dick riders, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I have not been keeping up with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really stupid and bad. Um, I'm really waiting for my, for my blue sky, uh, invitation. Maybe we can move (laughs) the podcast account over there. I don't, I don't want to get an Instagram. So I I don't, and I, I hear bad things about threads. So threads. I feel like Instagram is primarily for pictures, like just picture pictures. Well, have you heard about threads though? Yes. On Facebook. Yes. Like it's, yeah, it's owned by Facebook, but it's like the Twitter, it's the, it's the new competitor with Twitter that's run through Instagram. It's a component of Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So you have to have an Instagram account. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I might play around with it and see if it's anything that's. And a a lot of people are apparently bitter because they don't like threads, but apparently you can't get rid of threads without getting rid of your Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Let's talk about this episode, Bob. In the plot. In the plot. In the plot of charades. Energy aliens repair Spock and Chapel after a shuttle crash, but remove Spock's Vulcan genetics, leaving him dealing with human emotions in advance of an engagement dinner with T'Pring's family, while Chapel scrambles for a cure. So, Matt, did you, like me, initially assume that their Kirkovians were going to be some sort of, like, ancient Romulans? Because, like, the way they were describing it, with it being in the Vulcan sector and it being deserted, I was just like, oh, maybe this is the first place the Romulans chilled at before they, you know, went further out. My mind didn't really go there, but I could see I could see how you could make that assumption. Yeah, yeah, totally wrong. Totally wrong. But yeah, I, but said, I, I could see, yeah. yeah I could, yeah, I think they're so, I think they're kind of done getting Romulan crazy after they've done so many other things where they've introduced the yeah. Romulans before they actually are supposed to debut. Well, I just thought it'd be kind of like a funny a funny way to tie in to like you know Nurse Chapel's documented interest in archaeology would be like okay we have time traveling Romulans and then oh we maybe deal with like the you know the ancient Romulans too but we don't we deal, with deal with Romulans the, the present day Romulans yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of Nurse Chapel so she's applying for this archaeology fellowship two months seems like very short for a fellowship, right? That seems very weird. Yeah, but it's a Vulcan fellowship. So research is probably expedited. I just, I just think that seems inefficient and illogical to have such a short fellowship, like a year or six months. Yeah, sure. But two months. You're you're calling the Vulcans illogical, Bob. I am. I I think it's very illogical to make uh, people prep uh, and do interview prep for two months. Although I do think how short the interview was, was very logical. And I appreciated that. How long is two months on Vulcan, Bob? That's a good question, but I assume it's, you know, I assume there's some sort of like universal standard in the Federation for referring to day and month that may not be exactly what we think of as day and month, but is broadly similar. What if you thought you were going for a two month fellowship, but that's actually like, you know, a 400 year. You just didn't know. Yeah. That a month yeah. Long. yeah that'd be awful because don't Vulcans live way longer. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. It actually it actually takes twenty four hundred years for our planet to to make a revolution around its sun. So two months is four hundred years. <laughs> yeah, you show up and it's like, oh shit, I'm here for a lot longer than I thought I was. <laughs> so Matt, I must confess, I, despite you know multiple shows, especially Star Trek Discovery and Enterprise, dealing with Vulcan family, I never before pondered what a terror having a Vulcan mother in law would be. Yeah, well, that woman is a bitch, and I'm extremely sorry for her husband. <laughs> I don't hey, know man, how it's better was, to say it. They made sure was, that, that character—I I, I forget her name, but whatever—the the, the mother. I also 
Tapril, was it? Yeah, she, yeah, Tapril. That's it. She is mean as hell. Like I would, I would die if that was. But my she was, she was the source, and this is skipping ahead a lot. But she was the source of the greatest line in the episode, I thought, which was when Spike or Spike when Spock ran to the bathroom. She said to the something to the effect of a Vulcan should have a more resilient bladder. That cracked me up, man. And like her whole reason for living is just to like complain about everything. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's I really, great. yeah, I mean, it was really funny the way they characterized her. That they did, yeah, they did yeah. a fantastic job with the writing on her with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit, a little bit racist and a lot Vulcan Karen. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, and so we've often been kind of uh, dubious about like why this show has George Kirk on the Enterprise and or Sam Kirk. George, what, which is it? I can't remember. It, it's, it's George Samuel Kirk. Yeah, because George is the father, so he goes but by Sam. They call That's him right. Sam, yeah. Sam Kirk's the brother. George is his father from the J.J. movies, which is now canon, I guess. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we, we've made a lot about it. It's kind of weird that they went to, and especially that they made such a big deal of introducing Sam Kirk in the first episode, and then they just hardly ever use him again. But this was hilarious. Like, you know, Sam Kirk driving Spock up the wall and then Spock finally like losing it once he has human emotions and just being like, don't test me, Kirk, I will break you. That was so funny. (laughs) It was really funny. Like, cause that shit gets on my nerves too sometimes, but this made me realize an error I made in a previous podcast episode. Sam Kirk is not played by the same guy who plays uh, James Kirk. That was in the TOS episode. Did you say that? Because I thought I, I I don't think you actually said that because oh, I think well, I it, told it, you it, you were it, wrong. it confused me because when I saw the actor, I was like, wait a minute, that's not the same guy. What happened was in the TOS episode, Bob, you know, William Shatner played both parts. OK, I, I'd forgotten that. And I don't think I haven't. That's Operation Annihilates the episode, right? Correct. And he had a mustache. I, I haven't seen that in forever, but it, it, it's not a. In that episode, right, Sam Kirk is not actually a character. He's already dead. You just see a picture, and it's Bill Shatner with a mustache. Is that right? I think so, yeah. It's been a okay. while, too. But yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I don't remember you saying that because, yeah, clearly the actor playing Sam Kirk is not vegan Kirk. Right, Paul, right, yeah. I just haven't, I haven't <laughs> seen enough of Sam Kirk to realize, oh, yeah, they're, they're two different people. Yeah, which which does speak to that earlier point about how weird it is that they make such a big deal yeah. about him, but then he's hardly Exactly. Around, yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we really thought we were just going to have Sam Kirk on the Enterprise for a long time and he was going to do shit. And we also had a really good idea that we thought he was going to constantly get his ass kicked. Remember that? Yeah. Or stuff yeah. would happen to that, him. Because he was like in the second or third episode of the first season and he did like almost die. Right. <laughs> and it was like, it been, yeah. yeah, yeah, that would have been pretty funny. Um, so let's I talk about he, Amanda Grayson for a minute, Bob. Yeah, it's we, it's a great move to have Spock's mother on the ship for him going through puberty. That's good writing. I, I agree. Yeah. And when she first arrived on the ship, I questioned Mia Kirshner's abilities, like acting mm-hmm. abilities. Mm-hmm. And I think I did the same thing in the last in the Discovery episodes. But as this episode progressed, she got a little better. She's very soft-spoken and calm. And I just, I don't know. It just, I felt like she wasn't, I felt her acting was weird. But then that was, I think it was intentional. I think, yeah, I think it's kind of a hard role to play because she's like a human woman with like emotions, but she's off. She's also like modeled herself on Vulcan behavior sort of for decades. Yeah, she's got so a little on Vulcan. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I understand it now, but at first I was like, what is wrong with this woman? Why is she, why is her acting so strange? Like, why is she, is she not, because she should just be a human woman, but like, no. 
it makes sense because she has lived on Vulcan. She's married to a Vulcan. She has to act Vulcan. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I, I will say that a teen human Spock hiding his uh, human ears in a beanie <laughs> is really funny. And it's also really funny that, you know, you say what you will about Captain Pike, but the man believes in bro code. He stands up for Spock's lies. He's like, no, no, those beanies are regulation. I have one. <laughs> He really does. <laughs> Has a stupid symbol in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got the Starfleet Delta yeah. on the beanie. It's so good. So well, good. Was this was this a callback to City on the Edge of Forever, Bob? Yeah, I didn't I didn't register it, but I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it yeah. is. When I saw him, I was like, that looks a lot like the same one. But then it had the the Chevron or it was called. So while watching this episode, Matt, did you get the impression that Amanda like has some sort of like hold over Pike, like he owes her a favor or something? I didn't catch this. What makes you think that? It just felt like Pike was like really going out of his way to assist her, to back her up. And granted, he does that for Spock in this episode. And, he, you know, Pike does have a very parental role for most of his officers. Right. But it just felt like with a band, it was like Pike was really going above and beyond to like to support her. And it was just like, I did. I just wondered if there was a line I'd missed about like, you know, she'd, she'd like helped him in his career or something at some point. <laughs> eh, it's, it's possible. There may be some story they go back to. I mean, there wasn't anything on discovery that we missed, right? Maybe there was, but cause I think she did show up a couple of times in season two. And I, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but I don't remember how the relationship between Pike and Amanda, if there, or if even if there was one was played in season two of discovery. So that's a good, that's a good point. And we sure as hell aren't going to go back and watch it again. <laughs> uh, I actually might. Bob. I, she's not. Well, I'm not going to rewatch the whole thing, but she's not. In, I don't think she's in that many episodes. Oh, I, you're going to rewatch the episodes with her and not rewatch Discovery as a whole. That's what I meant. If I was going to rewatch a season of Discovery, it would be season two. What do you think about rewatching Discovery once the whole thing is finished? Do you think you'd ever go back and watch the whole thing through? No. The, no. no. Okay. I until the season four finale, it was season four finale, right? Yeah. I, I until guess. the season I'm, Yeah. Until the season four finale, Matt, like I defended the show. And I, I truly did like like a lot of things about the show, but just, you know, also knew it had some flaws. Although I also think people in some respects tend to ignore the f- obvious flaws that shows like next generation and Voyager and enterprise have in order to put down on Discovery's flaws. But that, that said, like I, I probably, even then I probably wouldn't have gone back and rewatched discovery just cause there were a lot of flaws. But then once the, once the season four finale hit, no, no, that shows dead to me. The only, I would rewatch season two thinking of it as like strange new worlds, like season 0.5, you know? <laughs> that's a good idea i like that because that, i think season two was the it was a season that i was kind of into it yeah um, yeah yeah it, okay. no, it was easy it was easily it still had a lot of problems but it was it was easily the best season and not yeah. that there weren't good moments in in seasons one three and even four but just yeah two was easy easily the best so, Matt, did you enjoy that scene of Uhura, Noonien seeing number one and Ortega's having to reteach Spock what his Vulcan intonation should be? I thought it was really funny. I feel like that scene came straight from like my workplace because I'm in a female dominated workplace and I am very dry 
if you can't tell the long <laughs> voice. So, and I'm pretty sure I've had at least two or three women at different times, like mock my voice. And I'm like, what? Do, do I really sound that way? Yeah. Matt, Matt's getting triggered and thinking about I, all of his sufferings in a matriarchy. I was, I was very triggered. <laughs> That's that's hilarious, man. To go to a happier subject, uh, Tapring is great. Uh, she had a line I just loved uh, when Spock calls uh, Tapring's mother fascinating. She's like, I suppose it is fascinating in the way it is fascinating that some species eat their young. <laughs> I mean, Tapring has a personality. I, I didn't care for her much last season, but here she really stands out. You were all about I, I, her last season. You yeah, loved her. Yeah. I, I'd never been, I was never a fan. I agree that she stands out more in this episode, but I think she had a really funny, dry sense of humor uh, last season. Also, just the whole situation of Pike having to host uh, to Pring's parents is really funny. Yeah, I feel so bad for him. He made all that food and it was like specialty Vulcan food. And he took like one bite. And then, of course, the mother-in-law complained about it not being twisted enough. <laughs> like the, <laughs> It was like a noodle or something and it wasn't twisted the correct way or enough. It wasn't the right angle. <laughs> you just put it in their yeah. mouth. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like complaining about an Oreo cookie missing a part of the chocolate, like, like so missing like a. This is either of- a blatantly obvious realization, or it's may- maybe I actually am on to something. But maybe you're. But maybe you're just going to tell me, duh. But I just realized, is it Pike is basically playing the role of Sarek in this ceremony, isn't he? Oh yeah, like because yeah, like and that would maybe like explain like why. He seemed like they don't explicitly say it, but it's like why he maybe seems, you know, very friendly with Amanda. And that's kind of interesting. Like he's explicitly basically serving as like Spike's Spike, Spock's surrogate dad in this episode. Yeah, he's filling in for the he's filling in for that role. Yeah. Captain Daddy to the rescue. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I I, I was just very impressed with that. I probably shouldn't be because it's actually in hindsight. It's really obvious. But I was just very impressed with that that realization. (laughs) I didn't catch it either, Bob, but you're right. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Uh, I am pretty glad they called back the idea, which I think is from Enterprise originally, that a human smell is offensive to Vulcans. <laughs> and so this raises the question, Matt, between human Spock, Amanda and Pike, who do you think smells worse? I got to go with Pike because he's odor blind at this point. He doesn't know what humans like. He, he's been a human his whole life. So whatever. I'm sure yeah. Amanda has some kind of like perfume or something that negates her human smell. Yeah, yeah. And then we aren't really sure if Spock smells different. You know, oh, he, he definitely does. He, does but he definitely does. So <laughs> he, but I think Pike's been, had, a, Pike's been a human yeah. longer, so he probably stinks. Yeah. More. Well, and and Spock probably we probably off screen. He had to borrow some of his mom's perfume. Yeah. So like to bring into Pril didn't immediately notice his smell. Right. Yeah. It smells like human <laughs> up in here. <laughs> Um, so another thing I thought was really funny about this episode is I, I, I didn't, yeah, I realized that during like the different stages of the ritual of this engagement dinner, but it's a really big reality TV competition vibes to this episode. I, I feel like the writers like really like, like great British bake off and like the rituals on survivor. Yeah, we have, you get, you got a show idea here, Bob, for Star Trek fans. <laughs> you can call something like, so you want to marry a Vulcan. Like, <laughs> like think of the ratings for the episode where they get to berate the contestants with the hourglass timer. Like, you know, that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Like on, on the next episode, we meet the mother-in-law, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and I do, I do like the idea that, uh, Vulcans have taken like malice struggle sessions and they're just a part of their culture. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Matt, were you impressed by how uh, the energy being customer service agency just shuts Pike and Ahura down, but uh, Chapel's white woman energy will just not be denied? Yeah, they had mad Karen energy. It was like, I need to speak with yellow. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, apparently blue was not giving them the answers they wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. And it, not not to diss on Chapel. She had a, she had a great episode. Um, and. Yeah, and I've learned something about Chapel, Bob. That I don't, I don't know What's why it? this never hit me. Chapel in this on this show is actually just a civilian nurse. Oh, she is. I think so. I read that somewhere, and I was like, that makes more. That's why she's wearing white. I thought, and she doesn't have like thought, a rank, right? Like she's not commander or lieutenant or anything. She's nurse. I thought at some point they referred to her as a rank, but I might be making that up. Okay, I, I could. We'll be, I could check be into that because it just makes sense now why she she wears the blue medical uniform. She wears a white yeah. uniform. She does seem more casual than the others. Like, and yeah, like I could see. I don't, I don't know if it's true, but I could see it. Like, she, she definitely doesn't like present as like military rigid. As, right, you, but then in know, TOS, she yeah. gets the she gets she does. Yeah, I think yeah. So it just it's like she joins eventually. Yeah. And I think she definitely has a rank, right? Like in the later movies, I think. Yes. I could be wrong oh, yes, that. she does. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I yeah. just think that I think that, that that like we're seeing her before she actually becomes an officer. Yeah. And I, I did want to say that, you know, seeing Chapel, Ahura and Ortegas take the shuttle trip together. It's like, oh, man, th- these three should take drugs together. That would be very funny to watch. <laughs> I really enjoyed how they utilized the cast on this episode, like the entire cast. Everyone had a part. And even though the plot was Spock centric, everyone, you know, had their time to shine and kind of, you know, be a part of the story. It's a great point, And I want to support it and uphold it. But I also have to immediately deflate it. What about Pela? Oh, they mentioned where she was. <laughs> I Yeah, I know. I she's know. collecting just, dilithium. Yeah, yeah. And she's actually very, I wonder if her if she's just very like expensive, like to be on it, like she can only do so many shows. Probably. And it actually was a good a good conversation about her. But, yeah, it was kind of interesting that, like, we keep having these episodes where Pela, I think that's how you say it, yeah. would be would be like an interesting dynamic to have. But then they don't have her in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they kind of wrote themselves. They didn't write themselves into a hole, but they wrote themselves into a way where they had to be very careful with how often they use her character because she could screw up so many plots. And isn't that kind of what they did with him or two in season one? Like yes. he was around, but he was not, he was definitely not in every episode. No, he was not in every episode. It was like a great dramatic moment though. When a uh, chapel is, uh, goes and hypo Spock right before he can confess his uh, human feelings for her. That was really nice. Yeah. That was extremely awesome. But, but Bob, the one little down I got to give here, that kiss at the end made the moment seem just a little bit less. Can you give me that at least? I can I can I can see what you're saying. And I do think like because Chapel like hypoing Spock so he forgets his feelings would have been a great like season one plot for the show or a great like kind of like Marvel comics, uh, you know, ongoing angst. We can't be together sort of th- resolution. But it also does kind of make the kiss more effective because now that Tapring and Spock are on a break, like, okay, so the inhibition is lowered. So I, I, I see what you're saying, but I also, I do kind of, and it is undermined by that kiss, but I do like how it kind of makes the kiss feel even more meaningful. Undermined. That's the word I'm looking for. 
are you like me a little sad to think about how there and this is always this was kind of my complaint back in season one is like I really love the show, really love the writing, really love the performances of both Spock and Chapel. But it does depress me a little to to imagine how they're going to go from Spock and Chapel hooking up to them breaking up still being sort of collegial colleagues and spot getting back together with the Pring, like that's going to be a really tricky thing to do. Mind wipe. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Even so, it's, <laughs> it's going to be uh chapel's going to get mind wiped, Bob. It's going to be curious. Curious. Hmm. I see what you did there. So who is your character of the week this week, Matt? Bob, my character of the week is Pike for being such a grateful host in spite of the Vulcan rudeness. Yeah, Daddy Pike always always coming through, literally in this case as Daddy. Um, I'll go with Beanie Spock. Beanie Spock was pretty hilarious, man. Yeah. And of course, Bob, episode of the week goes to charades. Yeah, no contest. Sorry, Legion. Yeah. All right. So this has been another episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds versus Legion of Superheroes. We are working through season two of both shows. Please check us out on Patreon for our X-Men 92 Young Justice coverage. I am Bob in Cascadia. That was Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.